Talk Recorded live. Hello, and welcome to Christogenia Saturdays. This is William Fink, and it is August 13th, 2011. Before I start tonight, I, I want to thank whoever um, had my, my – um, I, I wrote an article two days ago called The Right Far or Foe, F-A-U-X, and, and I wrote it – I wrote this article for people in, in, that aren't Christian identity so that perhaps they could understand from a political perspective what is wrong with Zionism and why Zionism is not – or should not be seen as right-wing, and, and what truly is right-wing is true nationalism. And, and that was my point in the paper, is to contrast the real far-right and the fake far-right, if I have to use those terms at all, right? And, and I don't like to use those terms at all to describe um, Christian identity beliefs or or, or what I like to call conservative Christianity, but um, and and even that is it, is lending itself to um, terms that are used by the political mainstream. It's they're difficult to to avoid where we could still describe ourselves to people that don't know any better, right? So we have to use some terms. Well, well the um, I didn't think the article was that great. I thought it was okay, and and it made its point. But evidently somebody liked it, and it ended up with a link on the front page of Rents.com. The article's had about 1,900 reads the last two days, and 12, uh, 1,200 of them have come from Rents.com. So, so it gives us exposure, exposure, and it shows that Christian identity writers can indeed write articles for the mainstream to digest without compromising our beliefs. The article doesn't pull any punches about the Jews. It doesn't pull any punches about the eternal enemies of Christ. We do not have to compromise our beliefs as some idiotic Christian identity pastors claim. We do not have to compromise our beliefs to get people to listen to us as long as we maintain a... a, um, and an academic and respectable tone. And that's enough of that. But whoever put suggested my article to rents.com, thank you. And, and it'll help Chris again you get even more exposure in, in the future. Okay, I thought about moving the open forum to um, Saturday nights from Monday, and, and that's mostly because, well, well, it was getting a little stale on Mondays, but I wanted to give it more exposure. It, it's on my private chat server, on, on the Christogenia chat server, it, it was it was getting a couple of dozen people every week, maybe not as much um, verbal participation as I would like, but I thought it might do better here, and, and I also thought that perhaps Eli had missed me on the weekends and needed my company, right? But, but this is as close on, as I'm going to get to him. Tonight I'm going to cover a paper I wrote back in 2005 entitled Baptism and What? And, and I'm going to um, try to do this with more of my papers to get podcast versions of them. I have Clifton Emmeheiser with me here tonight, and, and he's more than welcome to chime in whenever he feels it, it, he has something to share with us or whenever he feels it's necessary. And with that, I'll get down to the paper. Baptism 
in what? I, I, I made some additions to this paper from my recent Matthew studies, and, and um, I added about four paragraphs, and here it is. John the Baptist's practice of cleansing or baptizing sinners in water was not an idea peculiar to him, and, as shall be made evident below, it was done for a specific reason. It was a practice long known not only to the Judeans, but also to the Greeks, and as we shall see, to others of, of our race, too. This should be no surprise, since it is known that both the Danan and Dorian Greek tribes were direct descendants of the Hebrew Israelites. It would be odd if they did not share many of the same customs. While there are many examples of baptism, or ritual cleansing in water, in Greek literature, here I will cite one. In a play, Eumenides, by the 5th century B.C. Greek poet Aeschylus, his character Orestes says at lines 448 to 452, and I quote, It is the law that he who is defiled by shedding blood shall be debarred all speech until the blood of a suckling lamb shall have besprinkled him by the ministration of one empowered to purify from murder. Long since, at other houses, have I been thus purified, meaning Eumenides, the character, have I been thus purified both by victims and flowing streams. That's from the Loeb Library edition of Aeschylus. And here we see that the Greeks believed that one may be cleansed of sin, either by baptism, which is flowing streams, or by the blood of sacrifice. And we can compare Hebrews 9.13. The ancient Assyrians and the ancient Egyptians also practiced ritual cleansing or baptism. The following passages are from ancient Near Eastern texts relating to the Old Testament, Princeton University Press, J. Pritchard, editor, published 1969, page 437. From an Akkadian inscription, and Akkadian was the language of the people of Assyria, after Akkad, the famous city mentioned in the Bible. From an Akkadian inscription entitled, I will praise the Lord of Wisdom, which doesn't refer to the God of the Bible, but rather to a pagan idol. This inscription dates before 700 B.C. In this inscription, there is an exclamation that reads, in the gate of the purifying waters, I was sprinkled with purifying waters, which certainly describes a ritual. The exclamation is accompanied by others on the same inscription, describing sacrifices and libations and incense, offerings in supplication to gods. On page 495, from an Egyptian papyrus, believed to to date to the 12th dynasty, which is right around the same time as Abraham, from a list of good and bad activities, we see, plunging into the river, good, it means cleansing from all evils. So we see that the Egyptians, too, believed in a ritual baptism, washing, cleansing, which was attributed with the power to cleanse them from evil and not only from dirt. In Judea, the Qumran sect, 
The writers of the Dead Sea Scrolls speak of, a similar, speak of similar rituals. While the pre precise dating of this sect is not known, from their eschatological literature, it can be told that the scrolls were written after Pompey's subjugation of Judea, but before the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. It's about a 140-year period that the scrolls were written in. Yet the sect made no mention of John the Baptist. They made no mention of Jesus Christ or anything Christian. In the scroll designated 1QS, which is also named 1Q, meaning it was found in, a, in cave number one at Qumran, right? 1Q, rule of the community. In columns two and three, we find the following, and I quote, And anyone who declines to enter the covenant of God in order to walk in the stubbornness of his heart shall not enter the community of his truth, since his soul loathes the disciplines of knowledge of just judgments. He has not the strength to convert his life and shall not be counted with the upright. His knowledge, his energy, and his wealth shall not enter the council of the community because he plows in the mud of wickedness and there are stains on his conversion. He shall not be justified while he maintains the stubbornness of his heart since he regards darkness as paths of light. In the source of the perfect, he shall not be counted. He will not become clean by the acts of atonement, nor shall he be purified by the cleansing waters, nor shall he be made holy by seas or rivers, nor shall he be purified by all the water of ablution. Defiled, defiled shall he be all the days he spurns the decrees of God. 1Q4, I'm sorry, 4Q414, which is also named 4Q Ritual of Purification A, also mentions water, a water cleansing ritual in connection with atonement, as we have just seen in the scroll designated 1QS. The idea that one may be cleansed or purified of sins by cleansing waters or by holy or, or be made holy by seas or rivers and purified by all the waters of ablution. We see that in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It is observed at Matthew 23, verse 15, that the Pharisees were proselytizing or converting all sorts of people into Judaism. It seems that after the absorption of the Edomites into Judea, which is recorded by Josephus, for instance, at Antiquities, Book 13, Chapter 9, and also by the Greek historian Strabo in his 16th book in Chapter 2. And it was explained by Paul in Romans, Chapters 9 through 11, this Edomite absorption. After this Edomite absorption, anything became possible. Baptism, not the cleansing of one who was already an, an Israelite, but baptism seen as the mystical metamorphosis of one who was not born an Israelite, was an important part of such proselytizing. John Lightfoot, the 17th century cleric, in volume 2 on pages 55 to 63, in his commentary on the New Testament, from the Talmud and Hebraica, explains the details of this proselytizing, 
where he tells us, Whensoever any heathen will betake himself and be joined to the covenant of Israel, and take the yoke of the law upon him, voluntary circumcision, baptism, and oblation are required. This is a Talm- the Talmudic description of their proselytizing. If an Israelite take a Gentile child or find a Gentile inf- infant and baptizes him in the name of a proselyte, behold, he is a proselyte. First, you see baptism inseparably joined to the circumcision of proselytes. Secondly, observing from these things which have been spoken, how very known and frequent the use of baptism was among the Jews, I'm quoting Lightfoot, the reason appears very easy why the Sanhedrin, by their messengers, inquire not of John concerning the reason of baptism, but concerning the authority of the baptizer. Not what baptism meant, they knew what it meant, but whence he had a license so to baptize. John chapter 1, verse 25. And Lightfoot goes on to explain that once a proselyte was baptized, he was considered, quote-unquote, an Israelite in all respects. The same attitude that the so-called churches have today, taking anyone at all in off the streets and baptizing them as Christians, quote-unquote. Yet it is evident that John the Baptist did no such thing, for he wouldn't baptize a viper, Matthew 3.7, Luke 3.7. So when John the Baptist began his ministry, we see that his baptism was no novel thing either to the Greeks, the Romans who shared the same culture, or the Judeans. Hence, Yahshua's question to the Pharisees, recorded at Mark 11.30 and at Luke chapter 20, verse 4, concerning John's baptism was quite natural. And notice of it supports Lightfoot's comments that the Pharisees inquired not of John's baptism, but of John's authority to baptize. Yet it is clear in the New Testament that baptism was a commission for John and not for Yahshua Christ. And we will see that that's clear in the Old Testament as well. For John himself, John the Baptist, is recorded at Matthew 3.11 as stating, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I have a note here in my paper for that fire, note Luke 12:49. Christ said he came to spread fire on the earth. That's the trials which his word causes men. This was also recorded to some extent in all three of the other Gospels. At Mark 1:8, at Luke 3:16, and at John chapter 1, verses 26 through 34. This is again related when Luke recorded the words of Yahshua Christ at Acts 1. Verse 5, where it says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Hence. Yet where is the commission for anyone after John, for anyone following Christ, to baptize anybody with water? There is none. But it took the apostles some time to come to this realization. As Clifton likes to say, the book of Acts 
is a book of transition. It's a book of transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. It took even the apostles a while to realize the implications that Christ's sacrifice and the ending of the rituals and, and the fulfillment of the law had for the children of Israel. In the Old Testament, washing of the body is seen of the priests before they enter into the temple to do service and to make sacrifice. From Leviticus chapter 8, verses 4 through 6, And Moses did as Yahweh commanded him. Moses said unto the congregation, This is the thing which Yahweh commanded to be done. I'm sorry. And Moses did as Yahweh commanded him, and the assembly was gathered unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Moses said unto the congregation, This is the thing which Yahweh commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And then from Numbers chapter 8, verses 21 and 22, and I quote, And the Levites were purified, and they washed their clothes. And Aaron offered them as an offering before Yahweh. And Aaron made an atonement for them to cleanse them. And after that went the Levites in to do their service in the tabernacle of the congregation before Adam, before Aaron, and before his sons. As Yahweh commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so did they unto them. All of Numbers chapter 8 describes the cleansing of the Levites. Aside from these passages concerning the priests, or certain occasions where people are instructed in what to do upon exposure to disease or corpses or certain other circumstances, there is no other ritual cleansing of the body required in the law. It was foretold by Yahweh in Malachi chapter 3 that John the Baptist, the messenger who he sent before the Christ, shall purify the sons of Levi. John the Baptist was also a Levite, so he could fulfill the priestly role of cleansing which Moses the Levite had done first long before him. It is apparent that Yahshua coming to be the final ritual sacrifice of the children of Israel and prophecy, the prophecy and baptism of John for the sons of Levi was also symbolic of the Old Testament law and its fulfillment. That is why John was sent to baptize the sons of Levi, so that Christ could be properly sacrificed. Now, Israel has been cleansed of all their sins by Christ himself, as foretold by the prophets. And therefore, they have no need of any further cleansing. As for the reason that Christ underwent the same baptism... The sacrifice was also washed clean beforehand, as well as the priests. And for that I will quote Leviticus chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. And Yahweh called unto Moses, and spoke unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man of you brings an offering unto Yahweh, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. And remember that Christ had to meet all of conditions. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before Yahweh. 
And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make an atonement for him. And he shall kill the bullock before Yahweh, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put upon the fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priest, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, and order the, the wood in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water. Christ stood in the river. And the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, of a sweet savor unto Yahweh. And if his offering be of the flocks, namely of the sheep or of the goats, for a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring it a male without blemish. And he shall kill it on the side of the altar northward before Yahweh. And the priests, Aaron's sons, shall, shall sprinkle his blood round about upon the altar. And he shall cut it into pieces with his head and his fat. And the priest shall lay them in order upon the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. But he shall wash the inwards and the legs with water. And the priest shall bring it all and burn it upon the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice and offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto Yahweh. So John the Baptist cleansed the priests and the sacrifice as commanded by the Old Testament law. That Yahshua himself purposely rejected ritual cleansing is clear in the Gospel account. For instance, at Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, where it is explained that the Judeans took the prescriptions of the law to extremes, and added also the quote-unquote traditions of the elders, which weren't necessarily the Hebrew elders. When asked by the Pharisees, why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? Yahshua is said to have responded, well has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of Yahweh, you hold the traditions of men as the washing of pots and cups, and many other things, such like things you do. That word washing there is from the Greek word baptizo, which is the same word that gives us baptize. Then Yahshua added, full well you reject the commandment of Yahweh, that you may keep your own tradition. And he goes on to discuss those things which truly defile a man, which come from within him and not from without. For some time, the apostles continued to baptize people with water. This, of course, is evident at Acts chapter 8, verses 36 to 38, where Philip is found baptizing the eunuch from Ethiopia, who was obviously, and it could be shown, an Israelite living in Ethiopia, since he was found reading Isaiah and had traveled to Jerusalem to the temple to worship. And at Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 48, where even though, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, Peter still sought to baptize these people with water. 
many Christians defending water baptism today point out these two places in Acts, yet they neglect to consider the rest of the story. Later, Peter realized what had happened in Caesarea at Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48, and he related it to the other apostles who were in Jerusalem. And he says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Prince of the Lord. How he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 11, verses 15 and 16. From this point on, water is not again mentioned in connection with baptism. That's it. Not anywhere in the rest of Acts. Peter realized that the baptism was now with the Holy Spirit. Rather, we shall see in the epistles of Paul and of Peter something quite different. Yet first, let me quote Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 26. Aquila and Priscilla met a certain man named Apollos, who was instructed in the way of the prince and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the prince. Yet he knew only the baptism of John. So did Aquila and Priscilla again use water baptism to baptize Apollos in the name of Christ? No. They only, quote, took him unto them and expounded to him the way of Yahweh more perfectly. Ritual cleansing. Of which the baptism of persons was a form. And we saw it of the priest at Exodus chapter 29, verses 4 through 7. It could be seen at Exodus chapter 40, verse 12. It could be seen at Leviticus chapter 8, verse 6. Like the other works or rituals of the law, had its time and place. Yet Paul tells us time and again that the works of the law have been done away with, for which see Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 28. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, 9, 11, 9, 32, 11, cha verses 6, chapter 11, verses 6 through 7, Galatians 2, 16, Galatians 3, 2 to 10, Ephesians 2, 15, Colossians 2, 14, Hebrews 6, 1 through 2, and Hebrews 9, 1 through 14. All attest to that. Of course, Paul did not, as so many suppose, teach that we should no longer keep the law. Christians should voluntarily seek to keep the law. Yeah, we establish the law, Romans 3.31. We should seek on our own to keep the laws of God, but we should not judge our brother by the law. There's a huge difference, because we won't be judged by the law. Yahshua Christ himself has told us that it is the word of truth that cleanses. And Yahshua said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. We are not sanctified 
in rituals in water. We are sanctified through the truth of the gospel. Water rituals mean nothing. As a matter of prophecy, Yahweh told us that he would cleanse Israel. John 17 tells us that his word is the manner by which he sanctifies, along with the ultimate sacrifice in the body of Christ, for which see Hebrews 9.12 and Hebrews 10.10. Yahweh has told us, I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, Jeremiah 33.8, and I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned, and will cleanse them so they shall be my people and I will be their God. Ezekiel 37.23 Now how could we possibly continue to suppose that some priest or minister in the manner of the pagan Greeks or the Pharisees could cleanse us with water if Yahweh has already cleansed us? And I reference here Luke 11 verses 39 through 41 and John 13, 10 and 11. Unless Yahweh has cleansed us such cleansing is futile. We cannot possibly be clean. And the event at John chapter 13 is symbolic of this fact. Yet, Yahshua did not cleanse Judas Iscariot, the Canaanite traitor. And the word washed in Luke 11, which describes that very act, is also from the verb baptizo or baptize. Paul realized that the baptism of the Spirit was through the Word. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, he wrote, Just as Christ has also loved the assembly and had surrendered himself for it, in order that he would consecrate it, cleansing it in the bath of the water of the Word, that he may present it to himself in honor. The assembly not having a blemish or a wrinkle, or any of such things, but that it would be holy and blameless, my own translation. So we see that a cleansing in the bath of the water of the word is the way to be cleansed, and not in some ritual with actual water. Peter writes an agreement at 1 Peter 3.21. The like figure whereunto even baptism does now also save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, meaning a water cleansing, but the answer of a good conscience toward Yahweh. That is what cleanses us when we hear the word and we keep it. By the resurrection of Yahshua Christ. And Paul, again, instructing Titus, says, not from works of those in righteousness, things which we have done, but according to that mercy of his, he has preserved us through a bath of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out upon us richly through Yahshua Christ our Savior. Not that some minister can pour out upon us in a river, in a tub, or anywhere else. Titus 3, verses 5 through 6. And so hopefully it has been established that with Christ, baptism is through the word, and the sanctification of Israel is through the truth and in the Holy Spirit. The American Heritage College Dictionary defines sacramentalism 
as the doctrine that observance of the sacraments is necessary for salvation, and that such participation can confer grace. That is sacramentalism. The word sacrament is defined, A, in the Eastern Roman Catholic and some other Western churches, any of the traditional seven rites instituted by Jesus that confer sanctifying grace, and the Catholics count baptism among them, well, Jesus didn't institute baptism in water to confer sanctifying grace. B, in most other Western churches, the two rites, baptism and the Eucharist, instituted by Jesus to confer sanctifying grace. Not in my Bible. Not at all. The early organized church identified the seven so-called sacraments seen in Catholicism, which many of the Protestant churches have since reduced to two, which is the difference in those two definitions, in order to help justify a need for their priesthood. That's why they've done it. For only trained priests can administer their sacraments, as the church would have one believe. Yet we not, need not strive to demonstrate that they are twisting the word. For Yahweh administers grace to the children of Israel, and not some sacrament or some priest, and he administers it freely and not upon any conditions. And there are many verses which can be quoted to demonstrate this. John 1, 16 through 17, Romans 3, 24, 5, 15, 5, 17, 11, 6, 1 Corinthians 1, 4, Ephesians 4, 7, and many others. Never is the grace of Yahweh said to be contingent upon the believing Israelites performing any action in a ritual, period. This I subscribe to the Nicolaitans, or the people conquerors, as the Greek word literally means who were mentioned at Revelation 2.6 and 2.15. For these are the professional priesthood who would appoint themselves rulers over our faith if given the chance, something which Paul himself said that he would not do in 2 Corinthians 1.24. Rather, the children of Israel have liberty from all of these things in Christ Yahshua. And there are many verses that can be supported to demonstrate that, even in the Old Testament, Isaiah 61.1. Binding one to the performance of sacraments is contrary to the will and to the truth of Yahweh. It is also apparent that the Catholic baptism ritual as we know it, also called the Christianing, came not from the Bible, but instead was an adaptation of the ancient naming ritual of our pagan Germanic ancestors. The Romish church adopted many things which were pagan in their conversion of the pagans to Christianity, which in truth rather paganized the true Christian assemblies. That was the actual outcome. The American Heritage College Dictionary defines Christen, C-H-R-I-S-T-E-N, as to baptize into a Christian church, to give a name at baptism. To name, to name and dedicate ceremonially. That this custom was extant among the pagan Germans is found in the Edda, and here I will quote.
from the Poetic Gita, translated by Lee M. Hollander. University of Texas Press, page 121, from a poem called The Rigspula, or The Lay of Rig, stanza 7. Gave Etta birth to a boy child then. In clouts she swathed the swarthy-skinned one. Thrall, they called him, and cast on him water. Dark was his hair, hair, and dull his eyes. A footnote accompanying line three of this stanza, which says, Thrall, they called him, that was his name, and cast on him water. A footnote states in part, this is the old Germanic baptismal ceremony of name fastening. And they refer us to the sayings of Har, or Havamal, at stanza 158, where we seem to have the baptism rite connected with the idea of eternal life. And here I will quote again from the Poetic Edda, or Edda, if you will, page 39. Quote, That thirteenth I know, if a thane's son I shall wet with holy water, Never will he fall, though the fray be hot, nor sink down wounded by the sword. It should be no surprise that the Teutonic peoples should have such practices and beliefs, since they themselves were descended from the lost Israelites of the Assyrian deportations. But we see that they are pagan beliefs and not Christian, not Hebrew. True sanctification is explained in the Bible though sadly so few understand it. First, the word translated in the King James Version as sanctification, but also often holiness, is hagiosmos, Strong's number 38 in the Greek lexicon. The adjective hagios is holy. It's often used as a substantive with the... With the um, with the article, when it's used as a substantive, which means it's a noun, it's translated often as saint. The verb, hagiazo, in the King James Version is often to hollow, or to be holy, or to sanctify. Thayer defines the verb in part, to separate from things profane and to de dedicate to God. And Liddell and Scott concur having the primary definition of the adjective in the secular pagan Greek sense, quote, devoted to the gods, sacred, holy. And so it may be evident that something which is sanctified, sacred, holy, pure, is something separated and devoted to Yahweh. The only people Yahweh had ever sanctified to himself were those people in the loins of Isaac. Isaac was offered to Yahweh on the altar by his father Abraham at Yahweh's request. Once something is offered to a deity in the ancient world, it is perceived as belonging to the deity. This is rife throughout Greek literature. There are hundreds of examples of this. Although it may not appear so on the surface, by the placing of Isaac upon the altar, that was only a ceremony which dedicated all of Isaac's offspring to Yahweh for his own purposes. 
the Israelites and the Edomites, both came out from Isaac. Out of these, the Israelites became to Yahweh a peculiar or special treasure above all people, Exodus 19.5, a relationship which still stands to this day, as we see in 1 Peter 2.9, and which always shall stand, as we see in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. Only the Israelites, the vessels unto honor, and the vessels unto mercy, as Paul calls them in Romans chapter 9, verses 21 through 23, only the Israelites were cleansed by Yahweh as he promised. Jeremiah 33, 8, Ezekiel 37, 23, and many other passages in the prophets. And so the only, only the long-dispersed nations of Israel are the subject of Peter's vision related in Acts chapters 10 and 11. Peter was told not to consider profane what Yahweh had cleansed. To understand Peter's vision, you have to go back to the Old Testament and see what Yahweh had cleansed. Esau and the Edomites, who were also in the loins of Isaac, are the vessels unto dishonor and the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, described by Paul in Romans chapter 9, verses 21 through 23. In that chapter, Paul is contrasting Jacob and Esau throughout the chapter, and also through much of chapters 10 and 11, he continues that same theme, where Paul is explaining that, explaining that he only cares for the true Israelites in Judea, and not for the others, for only the true Israelites in Judea are his kinsmen according to the flesh. How could any priest or minister cleanse or baptize with water that which Yahweh has already sanctified and cleansed? How could you make it cleaner? How may one seek cleansing with water when we are told that sanctification and cleansing are through the Word. John 17.17, 17, Ephesians 5.26, and 1 Peter 3.21. Out of the mouth of two witnesses, and even three, is not this matter established. The Universalist churches cannot teach the truth that only the children of Israel whom Paul calls the descendants of Isaac down through the flesh in Galatians, and not any spiritual so-called Israelites. Only the children of Israel, the genetic offspring, are cleansed, sanctified, and redeemed by Yahshua Christ. So instead, the Universalist churches cling to the baptism of John in water, vainly pretending to cleanse any beast who happens to come along, attempting to admit every foul creature into the kingdom. Of these priests and ministers, Paul speaks in Hebrews, where he says, 
How much more a severe punishment do you suppose he who is trampled upon the Son of Yahweh would be accounted worthy, and who regarded as common the blood of the covenant in which he was sanctified, and who insulted the spirit of that favor? To regard something as common in ancient Judea was to share it with people that weren't worthy. I would not forsake having been cleansed by the word and sanctified in the spirit for the vain ritual offered by the traditions of men. While baptism, the baptism of John clearly had its purpose, its time, and its place, it is far exceeded by the baptism of Christ Joshua, as John himself told us that it would be. Thank you. That is baptism and what? And perhaps Clifton has some, some comments, maybe. Yeah, Bill, are you there? Yes. Um, I think maybe I have a problem here. Uh, I, you know, I got your audio all the way through, and and, and thank goodness, uh, you know, you can hear me. But I think maybe what I did when you uh, updated the uh, to a new, a new thing, I, I uh, rebooted my computer. Well, well, Clifton, you're here, right? Everything works. Yeah. Now, does yours does yours say on your side, call has ended? No, Clifton, you're here and everything's working. Okay. I, you know, <laughs> um, that's all I wanted to know. I, 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 you know, I, there's only one person up here. And it's me <laughs> uh, uh, showing that I'm the only one in the chat room. <laughs> well, well, it's working, so don't worry about it. I mean, you're on the phone, right? Yeah, um, but I think what I did, I... You're, you're I, not uh, shown as being... Yeah, yes, you are. You're shown as being in the chat room. I, I don't know what you did, Clifton, but everything's working. Well, okay. what do you have to say about baptism? Uh, I mean, let's stay on the topic. Okay, yeah, well, got that cleared up, so... Yeah, um, I wrote extensively on baptism, and uh, I can't remember just when it, when it was, but uh, there are several times it speaks of baptism where there's no water involved. And, and I think I pointed out about six or seven places, six or seven scriptures, where, the, where, where it talks about baptism and there's no water involved. But I was thinking of one main thing that I had never thought before. And you know, uh, uh, where Paul says, I came not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Uh, he wasn't changing the subject there. Uh, he was liking to preach the gospel, uh, taking the place of baptism. And and you read the gospel, and that has a cleansing action on you. And if a person wants to be baptized every day, all they have to do is get their Bible and read a verse or two someplace. Well, well absolutely. Uh, I mean, you could make up any doctrine if you read a verse or two someplace. So you might call it baptism... Uh, was changed to um, 
uh, uh, reading the gospel. Well, uh, there's another factor to that then. Uh, of course, uh, uh, it, uh, the Bible says someplace along the line that uh, they have to call preachers, and how will they hear unless, unless they... Uh, uh, Lest they are called and, and uh, lest you have a preacher. Well, that was true um, up until the Bible was printed. And we don't have to uh, really depend on a preacher today because we have the written word. And uh, he always says, you know, in the latter times, he's going to deal with Israel face to face. Well, when you pick up your Bible, you look at the pages so... You're looking at his face. It's a face-to-face. -face, I mean, uh, it's a face-to-face -face contact with the Almighty. He's dealing with us face-to-face -to -face today. Well, Only absolutely. We, we just don't uh, take time to read what he has to say. Exactly. And, and we will, Ephraim will learn doctrine, line upon line. That, that's that, that's in um, Malachi, I believe. And and that, that came true with the Reformation and the deliverance of the Bible into the hands of the people. For a long time, uh, you know, when the Catholic Church ruled everything, you know, 1,260 uh, years, uh, you had to go to the priest and... And he would give you a catechism that had nothing to do with the Bible, and and yeah. and uh, you know have have those uh, uh, different focus uh, um, focus things that he went through, you know. Well, well, there's a few things I left out of my paper. I mean, I could make the paper 30 pages long if I spelled out all the citations that I made, and and um. There's one thing I've left out of my paper on purpose, right? And I've left it out on purpose because it's too obvious and because my paper is – um, it should stand on its own, but I kind of like to pull it out of my pocket after people try to argue with me, right? And it's where Ephesians 4.1 at Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, there is one body, meaning the children of Israel. There is one spirit, the spirit of Adam that, that Yahweh imparted to Adam. We all have his spirit. Even as you are called, in one hope of your calling, there is one Lord, there is one faith, and there is one baptism. Now, if Paul says, if Christ, two years or three years after he was baptized in the Jordan, Christ said, as recorded by Luke, I have a baptism to be baptized in. And he meant the baptism of his death. And Paul says in Romans chapter 6, that we should be baptized in his death. And Paul says there is one baptism. Well, I could count to one. What are we supposed to be baptized in? Because if we're baptized in water and there's only one baptism, then we can't be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'll choose the Holy Spirit. And it says, you know, one Lord, of course, it means one God. Well, and, well absolutely. And, and uh, there's not a trinity. Or or a uh, duality. Well, well, absolutely. There's not a Trinity. There's only one God, and there's only one. God. And that one passage, uh, it 
it, 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 it appears like that there is a trinity. Uh, um, that passage has been added uh, um, by by some bad, um, you know, later. Well, well, you're talking about 1 John chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, where there's a long interpolation, yes. Yes, there's a long interpolation there that that, that um, seems to support the idea of a trinity. But, but there's only one God. Right. And Thomas looked at Christ and he said, my Lord and my God. He knew what it was, what was meant by what was believed by the ancient Hebrews, what was written by the prophets, the coming of Christ. What was all those times where Yahweh said, I will save you. I will cleanse you. They believed that when Christ came, that that was that I. They believed that that was Yahweh come in the flesh. They believed Isaiah 9, 6, where it said that a child would be born and they would call him the Almighty God, God the Father. They believed those prophecies were literally true. And so did Paul over and over again. He wrote that Christ was the fullness of the divinity bodily. That Christ was that the um, the the husband that came and died to free the wife from the law in Romans chapter seven. And it's all throughout Paul's epistles. We see that Yahshua Christ is Yahweh, and we see it in the Revelation, and we see it in the Gospel of John, especially. But it's in all the Gospels. As far as I'm concerned, you know, Paul um, ended the argument uh, when he said that. He didn't come, his commission wasn't to baptize. Well, he right. baptized a few, but he uh, he was saying that wasn't his job. His his job was to preach the gospel. Well, well it's like you said, the book of Acts was a book of, of transition. It, it was a transition in, in um, which took several years before the apostles realized all of the implications of the new covenant and, and what that meant to the children of Israel. Yeah, it took uh, 20-some years for even Peter to wake up on one point there. Well, well, Christ taught them a lot while he walked with them, but there's a lot that he didn't teach them, and that's fully evident. I'm sure it was his design, and it's fully evident right in Acts chapter 10. But that, that vision of the beasts, of, of the clean and unclean beasts, that, you know, that... that um. That doesn't mean that we take the gospel to non-Israelites or to, to, to non-Adamic people. That doesn't mean we take the gospel to the Hottentots because it specifically states there that Peter should not deem profane what Yahweh has cleansed. And when you want to see what Yahweh has cleansed, you have to go back to the Old Testament and God only cleansed the children of Israel as a matter of prophecy period. He never cleansed the Chinaman. He never cleansed the Hottentot. He never cleansed an Eskimo. That is out of the context of the Bible. In fact, it's 100% uh, in the opposite direction. Absolutely. And, and those are the people that insist on cleansing those people, the people that actually profane, as Paul says in Hebrews, they make common the blood of Christ. 
by as sharing far as, it with as people far as, that it's uh, not meant for. As far as Acts being a book of transition, what that means, what was necessarily true at the beginning of Acts wasn't necessarily true at the end of Acts. Well, well, right. At the beginning of Acts, they believed that they should continue to baptize in water. By the end of Acts, they realized that they shouldn't, because that's the, the meaning of of Acts chapters 10 and, and chapter 11, where Peter said, hey, the Holy Ghost descended on these people before I baptized them in water. And, and then he remembered the words of Christ, where it said, ye shall be baptized by the Holy Ghost. So, so Peter right then realized, in Acts chapter 11, Peter is professing that he realized that this baptism should be with the Holy Spirit and no longer with water. Well, you keep on hitting your fingers with a hammer, you'll stop doing it after a while. Well, well exactly. And, and I would challenge anybody to show me, after Peter made that realization, where they said they should baptize in water. Well, where, where did Paul baptize after he said that, uh, made his statement he did? There isn't any record that he ever baptized anybody after that either, is there? Well, if there's any other input from anybody, um, that they're welcome to call in. Of course, the same policy will, that, that exists on the Christagenia chat server will exist here. We have a no-troll policy, and, and that's just the way it is. So any trolls that try to call in are just wasting their time. Hi, Bill. This is Aaron. How are you doing? Hello, Aaron. How are you doing? Great, great. Good topic. I appreciate you doing this. Um, I just wanted to interject and say that baptism was a foreshadowing of the living water, the water of life from the everlasting well that would come to ultimately cleanse all of Israel for once and for all, period. Well, right. That's an excellent point, Aaron. And a lot of people just miss all the beautiful foreshadowings that are in the Bible of the things spoken of to come. And once it came, or I should say Christ came, he fulfilled it. Well, well absolutely. And, and to cling to the old rituals is to reject Christ. Right. There's no doubt in, in my mind. Well, I was digging around, as you know I tend to do at times, with uh, letters from the, our early Christian ancestors dating back to the New Testament age. Um, found some interesting stuff that I think uh, would be uh, really good to share. Um, one of them being Barnabas, you know, who dates back 70 to 130 A.D., uh, states, Further, what say he? Quote, And there was a river flowing on the right, and from it arose beautiful trees, and whatsoever shall eat of them shall live forever. End quote. This means, and he says, this means, that we indeed descend into the water full of sins and defilement, but come up bearing fruit in our heart, having the fear of God and trust in Christ and our spirit. And I think that's a, another great um, foreshadowing of what the water baptism represented. And Barnabas, I think, knew that. 
Right. I have some problems with Barnabas. I don't know if it was amended by, by other hands or, or what. I haven't studied the entire book, but there are some strange things in that that epistle, right? I'm not trying to, to poke a hole in your balloon, but that there's um, Barnabas is the epistle where the Roman um, fasces actually bow to Christ, right? Hmm. There are some, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would um, just be careful with Barnabas. That's all I'm trying to say. Well, there's some other ones too. I mean, if one was to just look at some of the uh, the early writings, um, you know, they, they they go on to speak of of how it was symbolic and and how it was a foreshadowing, and um, um. You know, for uh, for example, like uh, Justin Martyr, um, he had, uh, for Christ also said, quote, except ye be born again, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven, end quote. Now that it is impossible for those to have once been born to enter into their mother's wombs is manifest to all. And how those who have sinned and repent shall escape their sins is declared by Isaiah the prophet, as I wrote above, he thus speaks, quote, wash you, make you clean, end quote. And so there's another reference to what truly the washing, the cleansing, the water was to represent. Well, well, right, the, the living water, and, and that's the washing of water of the word. That right, and that was Isaiah, that was from Isaiah 1, 16. Um, so, um, and, and then Justin Martyr also said, um, for Isaiah did not send you to a bath there to wash away murder and other sins, which not even all the water of the sea were sufficient to purge. But as might have been expected, this was that saving bath of the olden time which followed those who repented and who no longer were purified by the blood of goats and of sheep or by the ashes of an heifer or by the offerings of fine flour, but by faith through the blood of Christ and through his death who died for this very reason, as Isaiah himself said. Exactly. That's excellent. So it just shows, you know, that was for a time. It, though these rituals, these things were to be obeyed and carried out, yes, but... Do we still do that stuff anymore? We don't need the blood of goats or sheep anymore. Christ is sufficient. His blood is sufficient. And that is what has washed us clean. He is the living water. Well, well that's why I, I went in to describe sacramentalism, because priests require the dispensation of sacraments in, in order to justify that they're raking the, um, the, the, the people who are the perceived beneficiaries of the perceived grace which comes from those sacraments. But the only grace we have is already long dispensed to us through Christ. And, and no man can... Paul tells us there's only one mediator between God and men, and that is Jesus Christ. Yahshua one, Christ. Exactly. One mediator, one baptism. You want to go get wet? Fine by me, but you know what? I'll take Christ. <laughs> Exactly. And and by relying on a man, you're trying to substitute the the mediation of Christ with something that you believe some man can confer on you. Right. And, 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 and one thing that I also think about is, you know, did the thief on the cross 
not join Christ in paradise without being baptized? And, and what of the, the martyrs for, for Christ under the Jewish-led Roman Empire that were no doubt converted and taken into custody before getting a chance to be baptized? Are, are they denied entrance into heaven because they didn't get a chance to go get wet? Well, well, right, but Paul says that no other creation or, or anything else can separate us from our race from the love of Christ. Right. You know, the, the, the lie that there is power and salvation and a physical water baptism is, is the leaven of the Pharisees. These modern-day Pharisees wish to usurp a part of the saving power that only belongs to Yahweh. They they love to stand in high places, you know, in front of their followers and speak long prayers, you know, over their new converts prior to holding them under the water. You know, they all they all and, and you know, and the whole congregation they all shout Amen and Hallelujah, you know, uh, when the ritual is commenced, you know, come to an end, and as if they witness some great miracle, you know, when when in actuality they scoff at individuals like ourselves who who make the scriptural claim the real miraculous act was full and complete when the sh- when that sheep came back to into its fold and under the submission to his shepherd you know well well right that's all we need the the, the um the, the obedience that our heart desires to follow when we hear the word of god that's all we need yep Clifton, is there anything else you'd like to add? Oh, no. You know, uh, Bill, when you cover a subject, you you cover it so thoroughly. (laughs) There is no whole lot to add to it. I'm sorry, Clifton. Next time I have you on, I'll leave half the stuff out. (laughs) And that's the reason you don't get, uh, uh, you know, uh, on TeamSpeak when you um, uh, cover a, uh, a subject so thoroughly, nobody can say any, anything about it. I don't. I don't know whether you realize it or not, you were covering it that thoroughly, but uh, nobody can really question much of what you said. Yeah, Clifton, you pretty much hit the nail on the head there. Hey, Bill, Matt here. Uh, I I just uh, wanted to add just a little bit. Um, one of the things when, you know, as a, as a kid and, and uh, going to Catholic Church, um, <clears throat> one of the things I never truly understood and, and I guess viewed in a different fashion was, you know, it, the, the baptism where they say, you know, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I never, I couldn't, I couldn't draw the correlation between that and the water because you are literally saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So where does water come into that? You are being baptized into the truth that there is a Father, there is a Son, and a Holy Spirit. That is the truth. That's what you're being baptized in has nothing to do with water. Well well that that that's um that that's good, but without the water then we don't need the priest. Right, exactly. And, and without the priest, well well we don't have a whole class of parasites 
looking to make a living on and control people. That's sacramentalism. Right. And, and Christians, you know, there was no sacramentalism in, in, in the early church. Well, where were the sacraments in the early church? Paul said, you know, of the cup, of, of the cup of the um, the blood of Christ and the bread of the body of Christ. First, he told the Corinthians to go home and eat them. He told them to go to your houses and eat because they couldn't conduct themselves properly in the assembly and share with their brethren like they should have been doing. He told them, "Don't you have houses to eat in?" And he said, every time we take this cup, that means every meal that we partake in with our kin, we share in the body and blood of Christ. That's every meal. That's not just one hour a week in in some assembly hall or in some church building somewhere. There's no sacramentalism in the New Testament. There is none. It's they point at, like Clifton said, they take one verse or two verses out, and, and they make something out of it. But it's always out of context. And they did that after the the, um, the third century when Christianity became a legitimate religion in the empire, even though it wasn't yet official. You had a lot of pagan priests who were taking down the signs that said Apollo and putting up signs that said the Blessed Virgin – and, and and converting um, Christians to paganism, and and they had to draw up a new set of sacraments to replace their old pagan rituals, so that they could continue to control people and make their nice, comfortable livings. And, and that's how the Catholic Church really began. Right, and and these people just don't seem to realize that, you know, all these, but even the the. The simple act of this water baptism, you know, all that's doing is conferring power into the hands of another man to be wielded over you. And that is not scriptural. Absolutely not. There's one mediator between God and men, and that's Christ. And none of us need any other, anybody else. None of us need any other man. All we need is our Bible to see the Word of God. Some of us might need somebody to help us explain it, but they don't need anybody to help us believe it. Right. And and that's, that's thoroughly explained. You know, we are to edify our brethren, not put them down or lord over them. Paul told the Corinthians, I would not lord over your faith. And that word is to rule over. He would not rule over their faith. Yet, you know, I could bring you the gospel. I could give you my translation. I could tell you what I think it means. But I have no right to control what you do with that. I have no right to tell you what you have to do, what you don't have to do. I have no right to try to confer on you grace or damnation. That's all out of my hands. It's between you and God. And that's it, period. You don't need me. Nobody needs me. Nobody needs any other man to to tell them. We know what's right and wrong. His law is written on our hearts. 
We don't need controlling authorities outside of the scripture, period. And, and that's what sacramentalism does. That's what the idea of a pastor um, bestowing or conducting sacraments over a, 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 um, a laity, that, that's what that leads to. It, it leads to false authority, and, and it leads to lies and deceptions, and it leads to, to um, the control of a people by what I could only call the Nicolaitans, the people conquerors. That, that's the professional priesthood. And, and baptism was one of the first things they did it with, because it was so obvious that they could take that and, and pervert it and, and maintain those old water baptism rituals, which... I proved tonight from four or five sources were pagan. They were pagan. It's in the Greek text. It's in the Akkadian text. It's in Egyptian texts, and it's in Germanic texts. Four sources. Yet, still, plenty of our brethren are going to ignore those points and uh, you know keep trudging on the way they are. Well, hopefully I put this podcast on the front page of Christianity and it'll get a few hundred downloads anyway. Yeah, amen to that. And, and some people will listen to it. Maybe some Christian identity pastors will listen to it and, and, and come around to the truth. That, that's all I hope to do. Because there are some in Christian identity even who are, who are still baptizing. In fact, Clifton, why don't you tell us a story about Pete Peters well, well, and, and, and that poor guy he made fly across country? Oh, what in, uh, Pete Peters and, and, and what he did? Yeah, that guy he made go get baptized by him. Why don't you tell us that story? Because I've told it a few times, but I've never heard you tell it here. Yeah, uh, somewhere along the line, uh, some, some guy drove nearly clear across the United States just to have... Uh, uh, Pete Peters baptizing, <clears throat> and when I had been writing something about that baptism, he got kind of uh, mad at me, uh, and and he he wrote me an email and and um, uh, uh, explained uh, how valuable it was to get Pete Peters to baptize him. <laughs> Didn't Peters tell him that he he had to baptize him? I think that he. Uh, I think that he's uh, inferred that to different people. Um. Well, well, I think that. Um, I think that when we have something done, especially when we go to that extreme, thinking we're doing the right thing, that w later on, when we find that, when we hear that it wasn't really right to do that or necessary that we would rather defend it rather than come to a realization that we were wrong in the first place. That we would rather, it's easier for a lot of men to defend their mistakes. That's the way I look at that. that then to, then, and justify them than to simply repent from them. You know, that email too was, uh, uh, the guy was kind of mad at me because he was baptized in the, in the name of Christ, you know, and, and and he took exception to that too. Uh, you know, he, he he took exception to the idea of being baptized in the name of Yahweh. 
where he actually didn't need any baptism at all. At all. Yeah, right. They're arguing over something silly, and they don't need any baptism at all. It's more like the truth. That, that's just crazy. But there's a lot of that going around, and there's a lot of it, and even in Christian identity, there's a lot of it. Well, P- Peter's is where he belongs, you know, six feet under. Yeah, it's some some other half universalist will take his place, I'm sure. It, it's on. I, I don't have any love loss for Pete Peters because of his his blasphemy. If um, you know, if somebody wants to come here and and call somebody call call Christ by the name of Jesus, I, I'm not gonna um, excoriate them for that. If you want to use the term Jesus or Lord, I know who you mean. So so I'm not gonna be offended by that. And you shouldn't be offended when I use the terms Yahshua or Yahweh. And Pete Peters got offended to the point of having people threatened to be forcibly removed from his congregation. He wrote it right in his own Dragon Slayer paper that he would have people removed from his congregation right. to use the name Yahshua or Yahweh. Well, what kind of love is that for your brother? Just because they have a slightly different understanding. Well, what kind of love is that? And if you use Lord or or Jesus, I know who you mean. I'm not going to consider you a. Well, there was a there was a time when I used those terms too, you know. Well, well, we all did. Not knowing any better. Well, well, right, we all use those terms. So I'm not going to excoriate a brother for his use of 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 a name or a title. I'm not going to do it. We can't do that. That's not Christian. And Pete Peters was dead wrong for that, and and for that, and 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 he's always he, he's also on. Let me say this, and and I don't want to sound callous over Pete Peters' death. Believe me, I really don't. But you know, um, the 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 word of God says, "Honor thy father and thy mother, that you may have long life upon the earth." And Pete Peters consistently um, rebuked the patriarch Jacob for being a coward. I have it on tape. That Pete Peters called the patriarch Jacob a coward. And that's not honoring your father and your mother. And, and he turned around like, in the and same... And that's why Pete Peters is dead at 63. That's why he turned around in the same tape and praised a nigger. Well, well right. That, that's not... You know, you're, he, he was um, demeaning the patriarch. Demeaning, a, 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 demeaning our ancestor who Yahweh loved. And, and if you honor your mother and your father, you'll have long life upon the earth. Well, Pete Peters had demeaned Jacob the patriarch, and, and he's dead. And, and just think about that. So, so that's my, my opinion of um, the death of Pete Peters. And I have that on tape on on your website, Clifton. It's, it's you supplied it. I mean, you you supplied it, so you yeah, have it right. on tape. <laughs> well, another guy gave it to me, you know. And, uh, he was painting some rooms inside of his house, and you know it was kind of boring just to you know uh, get the roller out and the paintbrush and 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 be you know a lone person in the room. So he put on the um, CD uh, just uh, just to take up his you know uh, some of his boring time. 
and it wasn't very long until Pete Peters was uh, uh, excoriating uh, the patriarchs and praising a nigger. And yes, that's what he did. That's exactly what he did. And that's a shame. And, and not all blasphemers die young, but I, I, I don't. Um, I, I don't feel any loss with Pete Peters. Some of the things that he's done, not at all. Well, I'm. I myself am not too familiar with with Pete Peters. Um, the, basically, the only thing I really have to say concerning him is that um, there seem to be quite a good. Well, at least a few good CI people who have reached what I consider to be about as much of the fullness of the truth as, as you can get these days um, and used Pete Peters as a stepping stone. You know, he, he wasn't 100% right for sure. And, and uh, you know, if, if people stopped at him, you know, they didn't make it all the way down the road. But there are still a few that, um, you know, they they were able to use him as, you know, a stopping point in their journey. Well, it's like me. Uh, I, I learned it from uh, Herbert Armstrong in, in one of his books, you know, uh, American Britain and Prophecy, which uh, a, lot of, a lot of people say he plagiarized it, but, but I, that's where I learned it, but... I didn't trust uh, Herbert Armstrong from the get-go. I wrote to, I wrote someplace else to, to get uh, information about it uh, because I realized we probably were Israel. Well, you know, I was convinced really quickly that the Almighty had to kind of hit me in the head with a four-by-four uh, fence post uh, to wake me up, but... And my first impression, you know, I always thought the Jews were a, a, a pure race of people, and they they had they they had uh, to marry uh, between themselves, you know, and to keep themselves pure. And the first thing that I thought, <clears throat> so that's what all that forced school busing is about. I, I understood it was race the race problem. From the very beginning, so um, and I haven't changed since since I started. Since the very first, uh, you know, it it wasn't 15 minutes after I realized I was an Israelite that I that uh, I was convinced that I knew knew where the uh, racial problems has come from. We're the one. I, I, that, that's that was my thought. We're the ones that's not supposed to mix, and I haven't changed from that. You know, one little bit. Well, absolutely. It really don't matter how much mixing the other ones do. So uh, there's different ways to get an identity from from uh, people that uh, just aren't quite that desirable. Yeah, Pete Peters uh, got got some people. In, he got some people into identity, 
but they they started to grow and 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 learn new things and I got a whole family that uh uh they were listening to him quite a bit and uh uh and uh, they 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 weren't too sea line and 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 uh, I showed them the two sea line thing and boy they took the, uh, took up on the two sea line real quick and it, well, it, all right it, and and like Ferlin said in the chat only Yahweh can open your eyes only Joshua can open your eyes and that's fully true but 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 um a lot of those Pete Peters people have come all the way to two sea line identity and a lot have been stuck what with um, Pete Peters, yeah, you know, thinking that he's that, and a lot of that comes down to personality worship too, right, rather than under, rather than taking the time to understand the message that they're in love with the personality. And and Pete Peters was real, real strong again. He he never did accept two seed line. Now he 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 uh, started admitting there was a dragon and all that, you know. But you know who, uh, in his estimation, was a dragon? Somebody that uh, didn't listen to him and be baptized by him. Right. And and that's a, a lot different from the dragon of the Bible. And, and it's pretty funny, somebody that denies to seed line having a dragon slayer newsletter, right? Uh, a newsletter named a dragon slayer. <laughs> that's so true. That, that's pretty... <laughs> pretty so that dragon nice. slayer he has on the front of his... Magazine there is kind of misleading. You know, it it, uh, it it's painting him in uh, kind of a false uh, uh, image. Well, he's a dragon slayer no longer. Well, next week I'm going to have an interesting man here. I'm going to have Don Spears here, I, I, I hope, for um, an hour or so. And, and Don is an, a retired, I think, Baptist preacher, 30-something years, who, who who was now found and accepted to Seedline Christian Identity. I'll be having a conversation with him about that next week here. That, that's the plan right now, anyway. Yeah, like Victor said, that should be uh, should definitely be interesting. Yes, uh, and Don's a good man, and and he's um, he has a lot of Facebook friends, and and he's pretty active on Facebook and and, and a few other places. He's he's not um he hasn't been to the Christagenia chat server yet, but I have a feeling he will be in the next week or two. Yeah, well, I know that he had he had uh, computer issues for a while that that precluded him from being able to be active on, on team speed. Yeah, well, hopefully that's cleared up in, in a few days. Yeah, because you're right. He is, he's, he's definitely a great guy, and uh, it's amazing, um, you know, the fact that, yeah, he, he was a Baptist preacher for, for 30 years and uh, then finally came to dual seed line, and uh, there's – there's definitely no turning back for him. He <laughs> he is he is under the full understanding of the dual seed line message. Oh, absolutely. So with that, I'm going to end this program and and um 
Thank you, everybody, for, for coming and listening. I'll be here next Saturday with Don Spears, and praise Yahweh. Good night. Praise Yahweh.